Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome to Unaddiction, the podcast. My name is Dr. Nzinga Harrison. I'm a board-certified psychiatrist with a specialty in addiction medicine and co-founder and chief medical officer of Eleanor Health. On this podcast, we explore the paths that can lead to addiction and the infinite paths that can lead to recovery. Our guests are sharing their own experiences, the tools that have helped them along the way, and the formulas that allow them to thrive in recovery one day at a time. Phil Rutherford joins us from Black Faces, Black Voices, a collaborative of professionals focused on promoting recovery and wellness in Black communities across the nation. Their tagline is Black Recovery Amplified. He also serves as the Chief Operating Officer at Faces and Voices of Recovery. He's a recovery coach, a passionate member of the recovery community, and possesses a self-described doctorate from the School of Hard Knocks. This conversation was so incredible. Phil is going to drop on us some statistics about addiction in the Black community, as well as some very tangible things that we can be doing differently to turn the tide of addiction. Phil, thank you so much for joining us if we really want to make a a difference in this addiction crisis that we're experiencing. And so we're doing this podcast um, to drive awareness to that book and also to talk to people who are living their own journey of recovery with this idea that there is an infinite number of ways to be in recovery and people are living in recovery and we want to have those voices showcased and give people ideas for things that they might want to try that might work in their lives. So thank you for joining us. And maybe we could start out with telling our listeners, who is Phil Rutherford and how did you come to be who you are? Wow. That's a, that's a, seems like a loaded question. I I know. It's like very scientist of me. (laughs) Right. Do we have 17 hours to unpack the... (laughs) The first ten years of my life. No. Yes. Um, yes, we do. I, I actually think that I'm I'm 
one of the lucky ones. I, mm-hmm. I think that I, my journey to get where I am today was definitely aided by um, good health care, a loving family, and mm-hmm. uh, opportunity to an opportunity to recover. And I think one of the reasons I do what I do is that there are plenty of people that don't have access to good health care mm-hmm. and, and don't have access to opportunities to, to just, just to get well. Right. I think, um, garden variety, uh, substance use disorder, nothing particularly special about that. Um, it appeared in my, in my teens. I, I think I brought it with me into high school and early attempts at college. I, I used to say that at any given time in my, uh, Certainly my freshman year, my blood alcohol level was higher than my GPA. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I just, I just, I, I, I went through it, you know, but I, I think the, it, in my, in my case, um, my people, my, my, my mom is a psychologist, so she, she knew a little bit about what was wrong with me, um, and got me into treatment early and often, right? Mm-hmm. Which I, that, yeah, you know, that's, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a saying, but I, I, I think treatment early and often is probably a good rule of thumb because okay. if nothing else, I got, it would probably preserve me. I, I think uh, it gave me an opportunity to, to do some things. And you know what? I mean, let's keep it real. I'm socialized in, in a way that made treatment possible for me. Mm, say more about that, Phil. Yes. I, I, I This is another thing that is really important to me. So... um. I did not get put out of treatment because of my, because of the way, just because of the way that I am. I know how to move in white circles and, mm. and speak, speak white language. And, and mm-hmm. I, I hate to say it that way, but one of the things that I see as I, as I go around the country and do, uh, do this work is that there are plenty of treatment environments that are not necessarily friendly or available to mm-hmm. to men that look like me mm-hmm. and, and by and men because, who look like you because we can just talk straight on this podcast so oh, tell us what you mean phil and and i i, I apologize because we're, we're on a we're even though we're podcasting we're on video so you can see me but uh-huh. i suppose your listeners can't i right. <laughs> i am a black man yep uh living in long-term recovery and, and it is it is very important to me that other black men are given the same opportunity to recover from a, a a healthcare issue that actually has fairly high recovery rates. Um, one of the things that I get to do is I interact with with SAMHSA a lot. And very recently, they came out with some data around recovery from substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. And their their sample size was valid. Um, their their data says that of people that ever in their lifetime identify. Is having a problem with uh, with substances, including alcohol. Seventy uh, percent of those people uh-huh. have found some measure of recovery. So that's that's higher than diabetes. That's higher than hypertension. That's higher than a whole host of other chronic illnesses. So what Boom. that tells me that sounds like what we need to unlearn that we think we know is that people don't recover from substance use disorders. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Even. Even inside of our community, like for a long time, I heard the phrase recovery is possible. Mm-hmm. And that's true. And it's a wonderful sentiment. Um, but I know math. And if something is 70%, that's mm. a probability. That's Come not on. a possibility. Mm-hmm. So, so I just, I, so that's, so I'm, I'm passionate about that. And, I, and I'm passionate 
about culturally specific pathways because I, I didn't finish telling the rest of my story, which is Please yes, I found treatment early and often. Um, and and I, I don't know if that's how it needs to be for everybody, but, but I did. Um, but I think one of the things that finally got me from the treatment cycle into the recovery cycle is that I met a man in, in Minneapolis that looked like me another black man. Mm -hmm. Um, and he brought me and and one of the, it's kind of a funny story. One of the first things I said to him, cause he asked me about, you know, what, what, what do I do in my recovery pathway and blah, blah, blah. We didn't call it recovery pathways back then, but he just said, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And he mentioned something about uh, mutual aid, 12 step. And I said, Oh, that, that doesn't work. That's, that, that's for white folks. Mm. And, and and to his credit, and to this day, I mean, he and I are still we're still the best of friends. Um, he didn't say anything. He just he brought me to a meeting in in uh, South Minneapolis of about forty. It was a men's meeting about forty black men um, <gasps> in recovery. Wow! And, Wait a minute, in <laughs> Minneapolis, this is in Minneapolis, remarkable, right? right. Um, and something it. And, and he never said anything. He never, to this day, he's never said anything about it. He's never said, well, mm -hmm. I did that to show you or mm -hmm. none of that. Mm -hmm. But but what it did for me was that it made it, I, it was an excuse buster, right? I couldn't, I couldn't have that excuse anymore because the problem, the problem with mutual aid, the problem with any of those things, it has nothing to do necessarily with, with race. Um, while there may be race problems in, in 12 step, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to argue that. Mm -hmm. But that's not what was stopping me from getting well. What was stopping me from getting well was my own my own thinking about mm -hmm. it. And um, I've since I've since come to you know, and I've been in the twelve step rooms during uh, during George Floyd and all of that, and mm -hmm. had people tell me race is an outside issue, and me tell them um, I <laughs> every time I bring my black ass in here, uh, <laughs> I, black, I'm an inside issue. Yes. Right? I, I can't be. I can't be. Uh, anything other than black in here. So, mm -hmm. um, so it's, I'm not saying it's not without challenge, but, but that event for me um, made a difference and it, it shaped, it helped shape me. And he, he kept me in the company of other black men that were in recovery and sort of pursuing the same, the same path. So. I, this is so incredibly important. And so we talk about, um, we meaning in this book, all of these different inputs to the development of addiction. And so all of the different outputs um, that lead to a path to recovery. And part of it is exactly this, which is that cultural, racial, ethnic, sociopolitical inputs matter and community matters, right? And so there's this whole chapter we do on weathering which is like the impact of racism and discrimination as independently quantified on your risk for developing a chronic health condition, whether that's addiction or something else. And for the negative outcomes that black people see in all of these different health outcomes and how the environment and lack of opportunity to get healthy is the way that you phrased it, which I love is really driving that. And so I want to use this as a segue, Phil, because you're with Faces and Voices of Recovery. Correct. And what that person did for you was showed you a face of recovery that looked like yours 40 times over in that 12-step meeting. 
Yep. And so can you talk to me about the work you're doing these days to show the faces and voices of recovery so that people can see themselves in that and the difference that you think that makes? Absolutely. And I'm going to try not to make this convoluted. I'm going to, I'm going to do my best here because there, there's, there's a bit of a nuance in what you just said. Um, mm. I, my, 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 my day job is, is at Faces and Voices of Recovery. I'm the chief operating officer. I, I do that sort of work there. In 2020, it became apparent to me that I needed to do more, that that wasn't mm. enough, that, that managing mm-hmm. the, uh, a nationwide um, effort toward reducing stigma in, in, in large scale was not enough. I, I started mm. a group called Black Faces, Black Voices. Um, mm-hmm. and this, this, again, this was not an attempt to, to do any, and, and I guess it's just sort of the nature of America. Whenever you say something, I'm going to do something that is pro-black. There's the, the zero go- sum game mentality that it is in some way anti some other group. It's not, but it became mm-hmm. apparent to me that I needed to do something specifically around recovery and recovery opportunities for, for black communities, which is mm-hmm. what black faces, black voices is. It is a recovery collaborative collaborative of professionals around the country that bring this work into community. So what mm. what we do is we look for opportunities to drive resources into black communities around the country. Now, I like I said, I could talk at length about the uh, big picture federal policy work that I do with Faces and Voices. And by this time, everyone at, in federal spaces knew that I was about to talk about equity whenever I opened my mouth. So it was kind of a... Mm-hmm. It's kind of a both and thing for me, but I think it's important just to point out that that's that's really what that's really what the that's where my heart is. I guess that's the best way to put it. My heart, my heart is there. Yeah, let's talk about your heart. How does Black Faces Black Voices increase opportunity for recovery? How do you bring those opportunities to the community? we do a couple of different things. So our members are actually people operating recovery organizations around the country. So mm-hmm. um, our membership includes, uh, I, I want to say that there are, at last count, there are about 75 different organizations that are that are part of this collaborative. So we're doing everything from direct peer-to-peer services. We're doing policy advocacy. Right now we're, we're running a couple of research projects um, where we're looking the the one research project that is the largest is that we are studying um, the criminal legal system and the effects mm-hmm. that it has on black women in five states. So uh, mm-hmm. New York, uh, Michigan, Texas, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. We're looking at specifically what recovery supports exist for black women transiting the criminal legal system. And we're so we're trying to, you know, there are all sorts of things that influence policy. Obviously, research influences policy, um, and we're, we're trying to come at it from a number of different angles. Um, but at, at the end of the day, the direct service that ha- that's happening at these organizations, and the thing is, Black Faces, Black Voices, didn't, we didn't start these organizations, but we, we have collected them, and we're attempting mm-hmm. to operate in a little bit more of a unified, a unified front and conceivably drive funding in a little bit more of a unified way. Mm-hmm. I love that you said, this is my heart, right? And so when I think about a life of recovery from whatever chronic yep. condition, yep. Um, addiction included, really at the center of that is life meaning, 
purpose and community. Do you share the same kind of thinking? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think the, the most important thing it, and, and there's always, there are, there are component parts of our lives that we can, we can mesh together. Right. So obviously I am, I am, I'm a person with substance use disorder mm-hmm. and that is, it's important to me that, that I, I, I don't want people to die period. That's not about race mm-hmm. or anything. I want human, I want human suffering to lessen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that I am uniquely qualified to do and the thing, the place where my voice can ring the truest is in the space of working with, with black communities and trying to get resources there because the truth of the matter, um, and you, it sounds to me like you are connected with current statistics. Um, you know, the overdose rate in this country is mm. in, in specifically in black communities is skyrocketing. And it's, so it's 100%. not, yeah. So I want to help everyone, but much like the, the, the question of if, uh, if you're in a neighborhood and there's a house on fire, you don't send fire trucks to all the other houses. You send the fire trucks to the house that's on fire. Mm-hmm. I want that. I want, I want, I want to, I want to address that. And I want to make sure all the other houses are safe, but I want this house to stop burning. And, and that's, that's kind of what that. So, so yes, I agree with your statement. Yes. This is where my heart is. And I can do both. I can I can support recovery theater wide, and I can and I can sort of bring specific attention to Black communities. Yes, absolutely. My son is um just started his freshman year of college, and he's my um what can I say like heady heady son yep. philosophical guy right, and so we were having some conversation about um equity and racism and impact on life and health. And similar to your uh, example that you just used, like, I want the fire truck to go to the house that's on fire. He said, yeah, mom, I'm talking to my friends. And I'm like, you know, if this person needs a Band-Aid and this person needs CPR, I'm not going to give everybody a Band-Aid and I'm not going to give everybody CPR. Right. 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 That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Right. And that's and, and that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, when you look at kind of what the face and voice even of the opioid use disorder crisis, certainly the wider substance use disorder crisis has been, I think black communities would not know the disproportionate impact that this opioid crisis has had in black communities. Yep. Speaking speaking specifically of that, I just I just came from the uh, Drug Policy Alliance conference in in Phoenix, which is a wonderful wonderful thing, beautiful beautiful to see the work that's getting done there. Um, but I was on a panel um, with uh, a couple of folks, and one of the, one of the things that we talked about was this. There, there's the broader messaging of yes, overdose crisis, uh, yes, people are dying, yes, we need to do something about it. But within inside of the black community, we have work to do specifically around awareness and Mm -hmm. around the opioid crisis itself. There's internal Mm -hmm. work that needs to be done there. Um, And and I I usually ask this question when I'm when I'm in the broader community about uh, vigils. And it usually this usually makes it very clear. You know, we talk we think about 
the overdose vigils. I, I see a lot of pictures of people with candles. I always ask people, how many black faces do you see in those, in those vigils, in the pictures? Mm-hmm. And you don't. But that's weird because the numbers are increasing. So why why don't we right. see those? And we don't see those because a lot of a lot of times, and it's not not every community is all, all black or hundred percent black folks. It's not that's not what it is. But as a people, we're we're over policed and 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 mm-hmm. and, and and typically prosecuted differently. So it's not mm-hmm. it's not as easy just to get out there and say, "Yep, my my son." Um, has an opioid use disorder and he was shooting dope in the back room and this is what happened. That's a more, that's right. a little bit more, it's a more complex thing to have that discussion with, with, with other family members. So, and, and with mm-hmm. other community members. So, so another, something else we're working on at Black Faces, Black Voices is trying to have those dialogues. We're doing a thing called Chicago, Di- well, we don't call them Chicago dinners, but they're modeled after the Chicago dinner where we get mm-hmm. people around the table in, in community and start talking about that and talk about what does it, what does it mean to say my child has an opioid use disorder? What does it mm-hmm. mean to talk about? Um, and that, and that, I'll start there, but the, the next iteration of that is what does it mean to say my child is practicing harm reduction? Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What does it yes, mean? Yes, take us in- all the way there, Phil. <laughs> what does it mean to go Come to Come on, a- we keep it real on this podcast. <laughs> take it all the way there. What, what does it mean to go to a, a black church and ask, you know, can it can we can we do safer supplies? Can we can we talk mm-hmm. about uh wound care? I mean, so there 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 mm-hmm. there's a the entire spectrum of healthcare remedies that are affecting and that that we're using to reduce the impact of, of the overdose crisis and the opioid crisis, those need to be brought to the black community as well. It's unacceptable to me that they're not, that they're not there because there's right. some of that stuff that works. So let's, that's right. Let, let's do the stuff that works. So anyway, I feel like I'm preaching. So I'm, a, I'm, <laughs> well, I mean, if you preach it, I'm singing because I'm the <laughs> choir. Okay. <laughs> so directly related to um, what you were just saying, like, and the first conversation is just about the illness. Let's not even talk about harm reduction, but let's talk about harm reduction. 
I was just in Philadelphia and I went to visit the Kensington community, which has garnered nationwide coverage on what they call, quote, the open drug market. But it really is this area of Philadelphia where people with active addiction are on the street. And um, I spent some time volunteering at this organization, I'll shout them out, called Savage Sisters. And I know them. Wound care. Yeah, yeah they're amazing. Oh, yep. Amazing. So um, we were doing wound care and handing out safe supplies. And when I went back and was reflecting, there were probably, we probably saw about 20 or 30 people um, who were in the street in this quarter block in the Kensington community. And there was not one single black person. And as I was reflecting, I said to myself, I believe there is not one single black person because if this was a collection of 30 black people on this street, the police response would be very different. Well, of course, of course. And that's the complexity. That is, that is the complexity. And, and I, I, we should be ashamed of ourselves for not pushing harder on this. This is a, this is a place where like it is, it is unacceptable to me that a place like Kensington, first of all, we should be ashamed of ourselves for allowing a place like Kensington to exist. Um, mm-hmm. There are better models for that. I, I I don't know if you're familiar with On Point, Harlem, and On Point, Washington Heights, but these are, mm-hmm. these are, these are uh, overdose prevention centers, but. Yeah. Tell us about it because our listeners may not be. So um, they, these are places in, both of these places are in New York. Um and these are places where people can go and safely use substances. Now, mm-hmm. before, and, and I, I had, I want to be clear, full disclosure, I had one opinion of the place before I went in there and I walked mm-hmm. out with a very different, very different feeling. Um, so okay, it is. Okay, well, go ahead and give us before and after, Phil. So before I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in here and it's just a bunch of people, a bunch of people getting high. And mm-hmm. um, I walk in the door. And there's a, a room full of people and there's a line and they're waiting to go back in the back area. And I, I assume they're waiting to go and, and, and use substances. And they, they, I was going to tour. So they took me around and they showed me the room and the room looked a lot like an office cubicle. The rooms for people to use looked a lot like office cubicles. Mm-hmm. And they had a room for people that were smoking that has some kind of high tech ventilation in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the particulates couldn't get out. Um, they have a mass. One of the interesting things there is they have a mass spectrometer at the door. So whatever your sample is, you you can you can test it. So you know what you know what you're actually consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just the first floor. This is a three floor building. So then they take me to the other part of the first floor, which is healthcare. So if you if you have wounds, you get your wounds cared for. If you got other healthcare needs, you can get seen there. Then they took me to the second floor, which is yoga. They were doing the NADA acupuncture that the Black Panthers mm. did for drug treatment. They have other workout rooms, other stuff there. They got job skills training, all this other stuff going on. And so my opinion started to change. And then they were telling me about their statistics, that about 40% of the people that go there go there to use substances. And more, more than half of the people that go there go there for the services. They don't go there to use substances. And, and, and I just, and, and, and as I was walking out of there, two things occurred to me. Thing number one, they don't have overdoses there. Nobody's dying mm. there. Thing number two, mm. nobody's getting killed by the cops there. Mm. No, no one's being murdered by police there. As a matter of fact, the police know about the place. They're happy about it. They, <laughs> they, they're, they're people it, there. Yes. They're excited. If, if, and if people start falling out, 
they will bring substances to them to test at the mass spectrometer to see what the what the fentanyl content is. So, so I just I walked out of there like like every city should have one of these, and mm-hmm. and and then there's the real life thing of okay, if I'm going to put this in a community, and this is in Harlem, right? I'm on a hundred and I guess I think it's 126th Street in Harlem, so mm-hmm. I'm 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 in a black neighborhood, um, mm-hmm. so it can be done. But I just I walked out of there thinking that we're we're doing it completely wrong because people are people are not dying and and getting the help that they need in in a way that is not so stigmatized and judgmental. So I'm I'm a I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So time always flies when I'm having these conversations, and so I want to make sure. I don't miss this opportunity. I usually say at the very beginning, so this is my bad feel for not giving you a full heads up. At the end of the podcast, I'm going to ask you for one thing you want us to unlearn or one stigma you want us to undo or one conversation you want us to uncover. So I usually do that at the beginning. I see your brain ticking. Don't tell me right now. I'm going to ask you at the end. We only got about 10 more minutes to spend with each other. That's what I'm going to ask you before we get out of here. What I want to ask you now is because part of what I feel very passionately about, there used to be this idea that there was only one way to be in recovery. And what I think we know, (laughs) I heard your deep, heavy (laughs) sigh. So I think you feel the the question that's coming. I think we are coming to understand that that is not the case. So can you talk to us about what your formula for recovery is for Phil Yep. in case people who are listening might hear something that they're like, Oh, maybe I want to try that. Or maybe I want to mention that to somebody I know who's formulating their own formula right now. There, there are a bunch of thoughts going through my head. So I will, I, I want to, I want to qualify my answer with a very important component. And that component is time. Because mm. I, I think we talk about, we talk a lot about the pathways of recovery and where I am today is not where I started. Mm. Where, where mm. I started, um, I just wanted a way out. I needed a way out. A way out was presented. I took the way out. That for me, mm-hmm. that way out was 12 step. That's, and that's, that's really all that was presented. I think church was an option, but I'm a heathen. So that didn't, that wasn't going to go. <laughs> so, so I've. I hope my mom's not listening to this and get get mad. But I'm gonna send I'm gonna send this to your mama. <laughs> you get popped upside the head at Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know I taught you better than that boy. So anyway, right. um, so so that that was the pathway that was available to me. Um, and I so I started I started in an abstinence based. You got to stop. I I I. I say this without reservation. I, I am a, I am a, a stimulant use disorder is, is my, that's how I got here specifically cocaine mm-hmm. use disorder. That's what, that's what brought me to my knees and brought me into a, a place of needing recovery again and again. So it wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't like a one-time thing. I said treatment early and often. Okay. Um, that is what started me in on down the recovery pathway. Um, since that time I have had the opportunity of seeing so many other beautiful ways that people recover, including mm-hmm. harm reduction pathways. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I had a wonderful conversation. I know this is going to sound odd to people that are sort of wed to this abstinence based thing, uh, which I, I'm no longer wed to that. I mean, it's, it, it is what I practice today, but I'm not, 
I'm not wed to it because I've seen so many other people have success in in other in other ways. And what I what mm-hmm. I know is what works for me is obviously that that particular substance that substance does not work for me. And and mm-hmm. I, I'm 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 uh, I'm convinced. I've I've done enough field research. I'm convinced on that. (laughs) It is an evidence-based practice that- The the, the evidence is conclusive. Yes, yes, the evidence is conclusive on that. But I've I've come into contact with people over and over the years, so not like just one guy that showed up one time, but I've come into contact with a guy over a period of six or seven years now that is someone that recreationally uses other substances. And, and, and I've actually not just one guy, but a number of people that, that do that recreationally, but they seem to be able to manage the rest of their life. And I think one of the biggest mistakes, and I, I, I won't, I'm not leading into unlearning, but one of the biggest mistakes that, that, that people with substance use disorder make is the assumption that my reality is your reality. That's mm. not true. My reality I think that is might just reality. be people in general, people with substance use disorders. Yes. But I think that's like, a, a human condition. Yeah, it's it's not true, and and yep. and the the thing is, it's okay if I just think that in my head and I never say anything. But unfortunately, we have policymakers mm-hmm. um, operating from that perspective. We have people routinely sentencing people to treatment that doesn't work for them. You got people right. sending black meals to treatment where the fallout rate for black meals is ninety eight percent. And then right. reincarcerating them when they are when they the thing that happens to ninety eight percent of the people that go there happens to them, mm-hmm. and then the judge says you're you you're you're non compliant, so you got to go it's back you. to prison. Right, right. Ninety eight percent says it's not me. Ninety eight percent says it's you. So it's it's not it, it it is. So I guess I guess I said all that to say my my pathway. I started in 12 steps where I came. I, I still participate there. I participate in some, I participate in some harm reduction uh, groups as well, just because I understand the importance of allowing pathways for people that don't necessarily get it the way that I got it. I'm, I'm associated with a group called eight dimensions of, uh, of recovery where we mm. don't, we don't really talk about, we don't really talk about use or not use. We talk about wellness and the dimensions of intellectual, social, emotional, mm. physical, environmental, occupational, and financial. I think that's it. Mm. Anyway, those. So our, our meetings every week are just about that. Um, we have people in there that use substances and people that don't, but we don't care. Mm-hmm. We're, we're interested in, are you well? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really kind of, so like, so that's what I mean. Like where you start isn't necessarily where you finish. So I may have started in abstinence, but today I'm in wellness. Like where am I, yes. am I well in those eight dimensions? Is, am, am I, am I helping other human beings? Am I, Am I giving back to my community? When when I'm doing all those things, I'm good. And the the I also have a secret weapon in that at Faces and Voices, we've been studying recovery outcomes since 2017. I've been we've mm-hmm. been collecting data on it, um, and we can see in our data that there there is not a straight line connection between abstinence and improvement. And I, I will not say social determinants of health because I think that's a bunch of. Mm-hmm. Um, the structural or political determinants of health that exist, yes. we see improvements in those areas regardless of use or lack of use. There's a tighter connection or a tighter correlation between stable housing and uh, stable employment to overall satisfaction of life than there is to stable housing and abstinence. 
So, so the, the, the data tells me that my life experience tells me that I, I know that that's not the only thing. And it's really important to me that I make room for, for people to get well, however they need to get well. So what you did there, which was so important, which is actually a massive frame shift for healthcare, the recovery community, the treatment community, is that you made the target outcome satisfaction with life. Whereas the target outcome has been cessation of drug use. It's a huge, massive, necessary frame shift if we actually want to be like, is it just important to us that people don't use drugs, but they're still suffering? Or is it important to us that people are not suffering? Well, I, I think there's some willful ignorance there. And I, I'll tell you why I say mm. that. Because th so if you look at someone with alcohol, and part of it too is just like, like just not understanding the science. But if you look at someone with alcohol use disorder and they're drinking to the point where they, they have liver, they have physical consequences, right? There's a mm -hmm. liver problem. There's some sort of esophageal problem or something associated with that. You can make a good faith argument that if you remove that toxin from their liver or from their esophagus, that those health components will improve. Now, you mm -hmm. haven't done anything about their quality of life. You haven't done anything about their overall satisfaction, but you can make a case that if you take that, that substance away, that that particular organ will sure. improve. Um, and if you stop there, that's okay, but that's not that's that that's a very 1920s kind of look at at human beings. That that's we don't do that for anything else. When we're when we're looking at at other healthcare issues, we want to talk about what is the quality of life for the patient. And we also it, the other crazy thing is like what other condition do we say, oh, there's one way to do it. That's it. What's that's that? You it. got <laughs> you got hypertension. We got one drug. You take it. We got one drug. That's it. You know that that's and crazy. if it don't work, it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> you're to blame. Um, I actually was trying to get a, a billboard campaign going. I couldn't get people to buy into it, but I wanted to have someone like shaking their finger uh, over a cancer patient, saying, "You and uh -huh. your damn cancer." Like it's it, it, so so. That's what I mean by willful ignorance, right? Like we're we're applying methodologies that made sense in the 20s. In the 20s, oh, oh my gosh, this person, their liver is going to pop out of their chest. We, we got to do something sure. to help their liver. Maybe they should have a cessation of the thing that's making their liver bad, right? Like sure. that makes a certain amount of sense. That's logical. Um, however, well, that was 100 years ago. See, that, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the this, this country has a problem with time. I could mm -hmm. do a whole thing on that later. But anyway- um, I just, I think that, that we need to be looking at things that, that improve overall satisfaction. And when I'm on the Hill, um, I don't talk about all the touchy feely stuff. I talk about, I, I, I talk about GDP. I talk about what the impact of getting someone from a position of incarceration, uh, repeated involvement with law enforcement trips to the emergency room versus stable housing, stable employment. Mm -hmm. That is a GDP win. That is on, on the on the order of about $100,000 a year. That is a GDP win. So Per we, person. Right, per person, per individual. So we Correct. need to be looking at that. Um, yep. if, we're, if, we're, if we're just talking straight policy, we need to be looking at that. Um, yep. I happen to think humans are worth it, so I look at it a little bit differently. But there, there, there's no way to argue against it. It's win-win. Humans yep. are worth it, and it saves money. <laughs> we, can, we can all win, right? Yep. Okay, listen. 
you opened up and you were like, do we have 17 hours? And I wish we did <laughs> because uh, you are preaching and I, I am definitely the choir. But let's run and let's roll into this last question, which I gave you the heads up on. And you have been schooling us this entire thing. I mean, we have a whole list of unlearns, undoes, uncovers. But if you were going to bring it down to one that you want to be the last thought that people listening here from Phil Rutherford today, what would you bring it down to? I think it, it, it and I, I kind of previewed it. We, we have to unlearn that there's only one way. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an infinite number of ways. We have to undo the, the policies that are driving us into it. We are headed for, just as an aside, I, again, back to the hill, I, this past year, I've heard whispers of enhanced sensing around fentanyl pills that are pouring into mm-hmm. black neighborhoods. Um, we have to undo policy that unfairly incarcerates people, and and we we have to uncover a we have to uncover a framework that is equitable for everyone. And and I know that kind of sounds Pollyanna-ish, but it there it is possible it is possible to have human beings some that use drugs some that don't, it is possible to have them in a polite society. It can be done. Now, we don't have a lot of good examples in this country. We've got some stuff going on in Oregon that is is, uh, an example of not really thinking out policy all that well, Mm -hmm. but... Yeah, didn't think it through. um, But we, it can be done. I, 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 I don't think, I don't think it's a lost cause. So... You said one thing, I gave you three, but you said unlearn, undo, and uncover. Overachiever. (laughs) <laughs> Overachiever, underpromise, overdeliver. Yep, yep. That was amazing. Thank you so much, Phil. This is one I learned a lot from you. I feel some kind of way that I didn't know about your organization, but now I know about it. Um, I learned about eight dimensions of wellness as a support organization that I can begin recommending for people. Um, and two, you're just. You're motivational. And so what I hope is that people will listen to this and feel moved to learn more about everything yep. you have begun teaching us about today. Yeah. And do thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I want people to do the same thing. I would don't yeah. don't talk about it. Be about it. Go, Hello. <laughs> go do it. So go do it. With that, I'm gonna roll us out of here. Thank you so much for tuning in. My book, Unaddiction, Six Mind-Changing Conversations That Could Save a Life, is now available for pre-order at bookshop.org, Union Square and Company, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and wherever books are sold. If you liked this episode, please share it with someone you think may need to hear it. Also, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star review. That helps us reach any and everyone who may be looking for support in the face of addiction. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.